Hey, so good to worship with you all and um, to be here. And uh, I got to see some of the highlights thanks to the Instagram and all the fun things in the reminded me of um, my kids when they were little. And some of you are in that stage, some stage. Remember those days? And I used to love taking them to Chuck E. Cheese. And uh, we would carry these little cups around, and it was better than money, right? It was the coins and the tickets. You know, when you go into Chuck E. Cheese, I'm sure most of you, if not all of you, have been. But you go in, and then you get a, they snap your hand. Once your hand is stamped, you're in that place. You're in the world of Chucky, the rat, right? Whoever thought of that, um, you know, as their logo for the restaurant, right? The rat, you know. Anyway, so you go in there, they stamp your hand. And then they have a display case, right? Remember the display case? They have a bunch of things that are, to be honest, is, is worthless, right? It's like you get like plastic rings, keychains for kids who have no keys anyways, um, candy, which their moms won't let them eat anyways. And then for two million tickets, you get a drone that won't work or, you know, whatever it is, right? And, uh, but you go in and something happens because it's about the accumulation of tickets. And I remember I would go in there and it was like, Oh, it's time to get the tickets. It was like this, the mindset had changed. And I'd be like, Ashley, Ashley, look, there's a ticket on the ground. Go get it, go get it. You know, or Chucky, the rat's coming out. The rat's coming out. He's giving away tickets. Go, 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 go. And, and after a while, it's like, you know, the four-year-old doesn't have the strength to do now the ski ball and keeps throwing the uh, gutter ball. Hey, Ashley, watch out, watch out, watch out. The daddy will show you. Ashley, give me, give me all your tokens, right? And you're just watching. And we're like, look at that, look at that, look at that, look at that. Bam, 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 look at that. Ding, 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 ding. You're beating the kids. And then let's go, let's go get the prizes. And we're so excited. All right, yeah, you can get the plastic spider, the slinky that's going to break in five minutes, the, the candy that uh, no one wants to eat, the sour candy. All right, we got it. Yeah, all right. And, and then you leave the place. And then none of that lasts all the way till you're home, right? It's all broken or whatever. But something happens. And this is with toys. And something similar happens with real money, you know, in our last a sermon on this concept of contentment. We want you to be content. God wants you to be content. And he has given you everything you need already to be content. Look at, um, when we think about contentment, we can't help but talk about money and the prizes we can try to get with it. Um, Whether it is like a Chuck E. Cheese scenario or in real life, and we're going to answer some questions about this. What is it, what's the negative things it does to us? Uh, why does the Bible talk about that? What, what's the negative things it does to us? What should I do with it? And why should I do it? Right? The two what's and the why, right, at the end. What does it do to us? Um, there's some negative things that money does to us. You know, a few years back, there was an uh, infamous story about a 16-year-old Ethan Couch who had, uh, was driving drunk. And he ended up killing four people and injuring like nine others. And he went to court and all that. But the, it became so well known because the psychologist on the defense team said, came out with his own, coined his own term, oh, he has what I call affluenza, right? And that just kind of spread. He's just too rich. He grew up too rich. He grew up with too much. He didn't have now discernment. He couldn't make the right judgments. He had affluenza. And really, there is something, some truth to that. The riches and the money, it does something negative to us. And there's three parts, three negative things I want to highlight really quick before we jump to the next part of what should we do with it, which is being generous. But the, 
First part, what's the negative things that happen to us, that money can do to us, that we have to be also very careful of? Number one is, it can make us very short-sighted people. You know, Paul sarcastically says here in verse 17, as for the rich in this present age, those who are rich, but it's just this present age, if you make it to 80 or 90, it's just this present age. We're people of eternity, and we're talking about a sliver. And those people who are rich, it's just temporary. It's here. It makes them short-sighted. They think they're rich. They think they're important. They think they are enjoying life now. He says in verse 19, right? Storing up treasure for themselves is a good foundation for the future. We have to be people who are looking forward all the time. How do you ruin a life? And this is whether it is now spiritual in eternity's sake or even here on earth. How do you ruin a life? Just be very short-sighted in everything you do. Make everything you do and all your emotions go all in on the short-sighted, short little, little goals of life. Man, my next semester, I don't know how I'm going to get by and that's all I think about. Or it's just a weekend. Who cares about the rest? I'm just enjoying the weekend. Just, just be very short-sighted. And as we mature, as we do life a little bit, you know, you have to think long. I got to save money for retirement. I got to go to school so I can get a career down the line. I got to marry this type of person so I could have kids and that we could raise them in this way. The short-sighted person says, I don't care about any of that. I just have feelings right now. I'm just going to obey my emotions right now. This person, it says here, the rich, they just think and they're short-sighted. This present age, it's all about my job, about the market right now. It's all about this. And obviously, there's so much more to that. Um, the second thing is riches can make us delusional. We think of something about ourselves that we are not. The Bible says here, verse 17, the second part, charge them not to be haughty. Not to be haughty. Um, it literally means in the original language, high-minded, right? Lofty-minded. You think you're here, but you're actually here. Uh, this happens often, right? There's a moment of humility. If you've ever heard yourself sing or give a speech, like, it, it, you know, in seminary, we had to watch ourselves give a sermon, and I was about to jump off the, you know, the, the church building. Like, oh, I can't do it anymore. It's, you watch yourself, you say, oh, my gosh, that is... Or you hear yourself, oh my gosh, you even remember back in the day when we had those things called answering machines and you would hear yourself, oh my gosh, I sound like that. Or you see a picture of yourself, am I this overweight or do I look this old? Yeah, well, this is a very good picture. No, it's not, you know. Uh, you have a filter, please, right? But this idea, um, we all know someone who thinks more highly of themselves because they have a little bit. We've making the mistake of treating someone better because we think they have more. The CEO is coming to town. This person is the owner of this. Their dad is this. And all of a sudden, we think they're a little better. And we have to be also very careful of this. And in our culture today with social media and um, this culture of narcissism on the rise, right? this word narcissism comes from the uh, Greek myth, narcissus, who was so handsome, and all the women wanted him, and he didn't want any of them because he walked by a, street, a water reflection, and he saw his own face, and he fell in love with his own face. 
falls in love with his own face. And we have to be also very careful. You know, there's a term within narcissism, and I was reading this, and uh, Dr. Scott Kaufman wrote about uh, covert narcissists today, right? And he talks about it in the uh, Scientific American Journal. Uh, overt narcissists, we know. The overt ones are the ones that will do anything to get attention. It's all about them. But the covert ones are the undercover, the sneaky ones. And they sneak into all of our lives. And all of us might be guilty of this at times. And some of the things he talks about is, boy, they are very hypersensitive. Because it was all about me anyways. How can you disagree with me? Or they have a lot of anxiety because I'm, I don't have enough control over my life. And some of the tests he has, and there's three questions, and I want to kind of throw this out to you, and you could check yourself as well. Do you have a lack of empathy? So you see something happening to someone. Someone on social media said, man, they had to evacuate because of the fires. How do you respond? Is there some empathy? You say, oh, man, that must be horrible. That must be tough. Or do you just say, eh, good thing I don't live there. Man, good thing I live in Orange County. We had no fires here. Good thing. And that's it. The second thing is uh, this idea of being passive-aggressive. You catch yourself. Let's say your team at work, they all decide on something. They ask you what you think. You don't like it. You didn't think that was the best idea, but everyone else thought the plan B was better, and you catch yourself just going, oh, yeah, that's great, that's great. And then when they start doing it, you say, I don't want any part of it. All right? There was a pastor that I've known, a retired pastor in the L.A. area. He told me about a, a member in his church. A member in his church was very passive-aggressive, and you know, they, they had to deal with this and so on. Um, this member, there were certain people, leaders in the church he didn't like and agree with, and if he didn't like them, when they would pray publicly and everyone's praying in the church setting, he would purposely keep his eyes open. That was his passive-aggressive way. And he would look into the sky. I'm not praying that prayer. I thought, well, what if he makes eye contact with someone? That's really awkward, right? Um, I've done that. I've made eye contact with people, right? Then you act like, oh, there's something in my eye. Oh, um, let's pray, right? Or thirdly, he says, it's, uh, are you highly sensitive when someone disagrees with you? Someone says, oh, I don't like this. No, I think green is better than this, or I like this or that. No, the Clippers are now better than the Lakers. Oh, my gosh, how can you say that? Are you highly sensitive? Right, you, you, you wanted to go to Chick-fil-A. They say we're going to Raising Cane's. It's better. How do you feel about that? That happened to me last Friday with my daughter. I said, let's go to Chick-fil-A. There's no line over here. We're going to go to Raising Cane's. I said, what is the name? I don't even understand this name. <laughs> All right. Cain, why are they name it after Cain out of all things in the Bible? All right, so we get in line. You know, like, not enough for me to even have. They ate it all, right? So we say, oh, I'm hurt. I'm a covert narcissist when it comes to this with my kids. <laughs> God uses them well to get that out of my life. Um, the third thing that happens that money can do is it replaces God. Takes God off the throne, and money takes its place. It says here in the latter part of verse 17, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. Don't set your hope on it. Charge them not to be haughty, nor to set their hopes on the uncertainty of riches. That phrase, set their hopes, el pizzo, is a religious term. It was used of the religious people, of the people. They would set their hopes on the idols. They would place the idols and they would set their hopes. I hope that they can save me. I hope that I can get fortune. And they would place their hopes on this object. And what should be placed on God now is replaced by the uncertainty 
of riches. We all know someone that's at one time had it and lost it. Had it and lost it. Proverbs 23, 4 and 5 reminds us of that truth. Do not toil to acquire wealth. Be discerning enough to desist. It is gone for suddenly it sprouts wings flying like an eagle toward heaven. Can you picture that? The eagle that seems so big when I'm up close. All of a sudden it flies away and the eagle flies so high I can't even see it with my own eyes. And that's the, the image we get. Don't make that the passion of your life because it can go as far as you can see. It is the poet uh, Alexander Pope who said that Satan is wiser now than before and tempts us by making us rich instead of poor. How does Satan tempt us? He makes us rich because we want to then take God out and I place all my hopes My security, my meaning, my purpose, the way I spend my time, it's all about this God, not the real God. C.S. Lewis said it so well. He said that human history is the long, terrible story of man trying to find something other than God which will make him happy. So what are the negative things that money can do that we have to be so careful about are those? And what are we supposed to do with it? And there's two parts. It's very simple. Do good and be generous. Do good and be generous, right? That's the first part. Verse 18, they are to do good and be rich in good works. To do good. To do good means it benefits others. It's a benefit to others. So if I do something, someone else is benefited. This is what doing good is here. So we ought to do good. But here, uh, Paul gets a little more technical and he explains not just doing good, But let me explain how it should be. And he uses that word rich to get the attention again of those who are rich in this world. Us, all of us here, rich in good works. So what he is saying is that this is not a once in a year occasion. This is not the photo opportunity to go and serve at the soup kitchen on Thanksgiving Day so people know I did something. This is a lifestyle. This is the regular practice of doing good. So we ought to be doing good. We ought to always be doing something that benefits others and it ought to be regular. It ought to be a part of our lives. I was so um, encouraged uh, last time I went to serve the people, part of our 6 aid initiative outreach, and some of you were there. I got to see people there. To be honest, I got there late because I had to get my Starbucks, right? And anyway, so... Um, I'm walking in with my Starbucks. One of the ladies jokingly said, oh, it's hard to, hard to get work done holding on to that Starbucks, huh? And, ah, ha, ha, ha. I said, hasn't kicked in yet, not yet. You know, let me just finish this. Um, I, I can't even get that joke yet. All right? Um, I, I didn't even finish it. Had to put it down. Um, and working, you know, and if you've been to serve the people, in our 6-8 initiative ministry, if you see our calendar and our announcements, our announcements sometimes will sound like a broken record. This week at our 680 event, we're doing this and this and this. And you're like, didn't we just do something? Didn't we just do something? We want to make it intentional and stay away from just the occasion. Hey, Christmas, once a year, we're going to go and give away gifts. I don't want us to be an occasional do-gooder, right? I want us to be someone that does it regularly. I will do good regularly. 
I will make it a part of my life. And I remember going there, and man, it was so encouraging because there were people from our church, and there were people with little kids from our church, and they brought their kids into doing this. They're passing out onions and doing this, and teenagers. And um, there, there were several teenagers there. Uh, went to the back area, uh, and there's where the heavy lifting happens, right? And Lee's always back there. Chris is always back there. Um, I try to avoid that section because it's really heavy lifting, right? I stay with the onions and the... Um, it's hard to lift a lot with holding on to my Starbucks. But anyways, I, I went back there, and I got to see them doing the heavy lifting, moving the stuff into the cars. What kind of fascinated me was, man, there were um, some parents with teenagers there. It's easy to say, well, man, they, this kid is a junior. This kid's he's got his SAT study for you. He ain't got time for this. I mean, he can't waste his time on this because how is he going to go make it to his dream school? What, what if something happens? I was talking to one of the uh, parents. Oh, well, man, you guys are good. Oh, that's just this is our thing. We just come do this. Didn't make any big thing of, about it. Didn't say anything about it. And I said, oh, that's so great. It's just our thing. We just come. And I was thinking, man, the, the lessons this young man will learn by this regular act of generosity, of doing good, and how important that is. And we have to be also very careful to do the good that we do. And the whole chapter talks about godliness not for gain, right? Doing the right thing not so I can get something back. We have to be also very careful that the gospel isn't about God. I'll make a deal. I, I'm going to take my kid, but you better bump up his scores, please. I'm going to take my kid, and you know what school I really you know, want him to go to. And I'm going to take my kid. No, it's not that. Um, Christian Smith is a professor of uh, sociology at Notre Dame. He wrote a book called The Paradox of Generosity. All right, the paradox of generosity, because it looks like you're losing it. The more you give, the more you gain, is obviously the argument. And in it, he says, and I, there's a little quote, Generosity cannot be faked in order to achieve some other more valued, self-serving end. Generosity itself needs to be desired. The good of other people must be what we want. So we go do this. Not so that we can just say, hey, I could write off the hours. Or I go give a gift to my teachers, my kids' teachers. Hey, hint, hint, wink, wink. Hey, here's some Starbucks. You know, hey, you know my kid, right? No, it's not that. It's simply to benefit the other person. And so we do it in this way. There's a story that went uh, viral a few years back about a man named Shelby Hudgens. Shelby Hudgens was a homeless man. Shelby Hudgens uh, was living in Colorado Springs when a big snowstorm hit. And all these cars were stuck. The snow was coming down and the wheels were spinning. And some of them were ladies, some of them were people that needed help. And this guy started going around helping people push their car so they could get the momentum to get traction to go. And now in our day and age, someone caught this on video. Said, Man, look at this guy. He was a homeless person. And he spent hours pushing cars, pushing cars, pushing cars. Didn't get anything. People just drove off. They started a GoFundMe page, found out who he was, raised tens of thousands of dollars to give to him. Now, he didn't do it for that. But he helped them for hours and hours, inspired people. The comments that were written about him as people were giving. We need more people like this. This is wonderful. He's doing it not for any other reason. And there's something that attracts all of us to this. 
And the second part, he says, is to be generous. Be generous. Um, how? Look at verse 18. To be generous. How? Ready to share. It's interesting. The issue of generosity. The general topic of generosity is mentioned 2,285 times in the Bible. Someone did the research. I read this. 2,285 times. Other topics. Hope, 185 times. Faith, 246 times. Love, 733 times. Generosity, 2,285 times. Why did God, why is he so redundant about this? Maybe because he knows how we listen. He knows what we need. It's interesting, he tells us to be generous. And for the rich of the world, we can just say, hey, you know, that's easy. You know, I can give something. But the following phrase makes it really tricky. Willing to share, ready to share. Sharing is a whole nother level. Sharing is a child, a toddler that has two toys, right? All of us, when we were toddlers, we were learned, the first thing learned is learning to share. If you have toddlers, you've taught that. Hey, you got to share, share, share. They have two toys. Friend has no toy. Eh, right? It's this. Say, no, you got to share. You got to give up something. Sharing involves some kind of sacrifice. You ever have a friend? I have friends like this, right? You ever have a friend that's only generous at, like a, at a buffet? Like you go to a buffet with them, and they're willing to share. Hey, try this. This is good. Hey, try my steak. This is good. Hey, try the shrimp. It's good. Try the sushi. It's really good. I'm like, I don't want that. Like, I don't want that. There's stuff over there. No, let's try the. Oh, try the dessert. It's good. Actually, take it all. Take it all. Uh, you know, they charge two dollars if I leave it on my plate. Take it all. Take it all. Right? That's not generosity. That's not generosity. Someone that's saying, Hey, I have so much. Hey, I get this stuff free from work here. You need a pen here. Hey, you need this here. You could. Hey, this is. Uh, I get this from. It's all free here. Take it. Generosity is taking something that's a mine, something that's a value. It's the shirt on my own back, and we hear this often of people, when the highest praise we can say is that person is willing to give me the shirt off of his back. That is generosity. Saying, hey, I will give you something that costs me. I will give it to you. We, many of us, have a mindset of what's the least I can give. Some of us, we grew up in homes this way. Grew up in immigrant homes where there wasn't much, and maybe the mindset was, what's the least I can give and get away with this? The Christian who has the Heavenly Father, who has all things, says, what's the most I can give? What's the most I can give? It's interesting, you know, even the topic of the tithe Tithe literally means 10%. So you can't say, oh, I just tithed five bucks. Because you didn't tithe five bucks unless you made 50 bucks that week. Then you tithe five bucks, right? So it's, it's that idea. So some people say, oh, I tithed five bucks. No, you didn't tithe five bucks. You, I gave five bucks. Tithe means 10%. So some people say, oh, so, okay, that's the minimal. So I've had discussions with people. Is that pre-tax, after-tax, net growth? Like what's the minimal I have to God wants? You know, someone did some surveys. If you add up all the tithes that were required in the Old Testament, it's like 25% technically. All the offerings that were given, the feasting, somebody's going, oh my gosh. It's not legalistic. The Bible says it doesn't say you have to do this. Jesus doesn't. But it's not the mindset, okay, can I just squeeze in the bare minimum? No, it's what's the most I can give? How rich can I be? 
willing to share, it has to cost me something. I have to feel it somewhere. This is generosity. Why should I do this? This is the last part. This is kind of to sum it up. We do this because giving is better than receiving. Um, it says in verse 16 of 1 Timothy 6, God who richly provides us with everything to enjoy. You see that little phrase, to enjoy. At the first reading of this, you say, see, no, God gave it to me so I could enjoy this. So I can now go and buy myself something and go enjoy it. Right? It's for me to enjoy. Is that the Christmas morning? The grandma, the mom or dad that's went all over town and all over scouring the internet to buy that popular toy that that five-year-old really wanted to see the eyes. Who gets the joy? Who gets the joy when they're now proposing to their loved one and they bought that ring and it costs an arm and a leg and they get the flowers and they set it up? Who gets the joy? It's the guy that's giving this. It's the parent who's giving. The way, the paradox of generosity is the person that gives actually enjoys this. God saying, enjoy your life. Find contentment in your life as you give. If you hoard, you're not going to be content because you can't hoard long enough. So we give. And the second reason behind this is our triune God. We believe in God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Our triune God is a God who gives. God the Father gives, God the Son, John 3.16. God the Son, Jesus Christ, tells the disciples when he is leaving, he's going to give to them now God the Holy Spirit. And God the Holy Spirit now gives us the spiritual gifts to live and thrive here on earth. What are they giving that's costly, infinite in worth they give? And this is the gospel to us. If you find yourself complaining about life, not satisfied with where you live, what you drive, what you're eating, where your kids are going to school, your career, and you're just like, this is, ah. Take a moment and look up to him, the God who's given us everything for us to enjoy. And we want to be like him, the Father who gives, the Son, the Son who gives, the Spirit, the Spirit who gives us now eternal life. We have him, so we copy and run after him. Let's pray together.